0: Welcome to the podcast today, Susan Irwin-Prowse from Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm so glad to have you here. uh, Susan is an artist, preneur, professional musician, owner, and co-founder of the Yadaloo Music Festival. Uh, Is there anything else that I forgot there?
1: (laughs) Uh, I wear many hats, but overall, it's music. All things music, connecting with people all over the world through music and art. And Yadaloo Music and Arts Festival, I'd love to talk a little bit more about that specifically today, but we're just really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining me. Uh, So yeah, why don't you tell me first what Yadaloo Music and Arts Festival is?
1: Well, um, after about 17 years of a professional full-time music career, um, being from Arkansas, I've traveled the world, but um, my family is here, my husband is here, we'll talk a little bit more about how we met, Uh, but um, we wanted to dig our roots in here and really just give back to Arkansas and do something utilizing our experience in the music industry to um, form a festival. And so um, it's been three years now. We've won some awards, but Yadaloo Music and Arts Festival, Yadaloo is just a fun uh, country sounding name we came up with because we are a country and Americana genre specific Mm -hmm. festival. And we're a boutique festival on the banks of the Arkansas River on the North Little Rock side of the river here in the central Arkansas area. And we had over 60 arts and crafts vendors. So it's not just music, it's arts as well. Children, dog park, um, food trucks, nice. activities, all of that. So um, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of work and I have to say that I have not done it by myself or with just my husband. It's taken a community effort. So um, yeah, as you know, putting on events like that, it's, it's a big, big undertaking, but so far it's been wonderful. Even through COVID
0: we've, we've managed to a lot. Yeah. So what has it been like in the last couple of years? And you started this right before COVID.
1: We did, we launched in uh, September of 2019 was our inaugural, I can't say that word, inaugural (laughs) year, and um, coming right out of that, we won Arkansas's Best New Festival um, of the Year Award for the Arkansas Festival and Events Association, and so we were, you know, that was February, we announced that, and we were talking to big sponsors for our second year, and then of course, like everyone, we know March of 2020 is when all of the Covid nineteen impacted everyone in the world, but especially the events and, and music industry. And so, not only did we have to completely stop what we were thinking about doing in September of 2020 with our festival, but my husband and I, most of our, in, well, all of our income is music, and so we had to really just regroup and, and I, I hate the word pivot, but that's what we all did, right? The, the, all of the words we use during COVID now: pivot, masks, <laughs> reimagining. All of the things that we had to do to stay alive last year um, were very present. So our second year, we did pivot to a 100% online virtual experience. And um, we had over 25 artists that were either live on stage, um, streaming virtually on our production stage here in Little Rock. We also had some that remote in from Nashville and Texas, and then some pre-records that we pumped through. And so it was a six-hour event in September of 2020. And now we're here headed into our third year, feeling like I'm back at year one, trying to get all of this to happen Mm -hmm. because we didn't even know if we were going to do a year three after, you know, I guess, May, uh, maybe March, we kind of thought maybe we can do this. But as you know, events are starting to come back and it just now feels kind of normal again. So it takes over a year to plan a a festival. So I will say I'm a little stressed, (laughs) (laughs) but we're, we're moving forward. So,
0: yeah, yeah, no kidding. And that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought that up because it does take so much time to plan a big festival. And and if you don't know whether or not you can have it until six months prior, I mean, how, how does that affect what you can do? Well,
1: it affects um, the ability financially. It, it's the because sponsorships are the big the big point of the lead time um and so it affects the ability to for from a larger like we wanted to in year three we wanted to be at a bigger level production wise so and, and not to say that i and i did share a video hopefully you'll be able to share the recap video from 2019 it'll look and feel something like that um so the growth of the event from a sponsorship production side um is is has been impacted but um Routing and availability of artists and uh, but on the flip side, the positive side is that everyone's ready to get out and do things. So I don't think that we're going to have trouble <laughs> everyone coming to the event. It's just, um, you know, making sure we we handle all of our end on the financial side, raising the money and um, just being behind the eight ball with ticket sales and just all of that. The, the good news is I've had two years to prepare for get this done really quick. And so um, huge deep learning curve that first year. So now I don't feel so crazy. And on the unknown side of things, it's just a matter of now we've got a short time frame.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And um, and I think um, we, we've talked together. Uh, I mean, we're not really from the same part of the country by any means, but we're very similar in that we started our, our big ventures around the same time. We're like, we started, I, I think, both in 2019. and. And then there was 2020 where nothing could happen. And now here we are. And, and we, I don't know about you, but there's like, there's no real pattern. Like it's really hard to understand like what your normal is like. I don't know. Do you feel that at all?
1: I do totally feel that. And, and um, I guess you have to look at similar events. We've got a couple events here in Arkansas that I can kind of reference to say, and kind of what I was looking at as a blueprint and just for case studies for this area um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm watching and learning, um, just, you know, as anyone should do in any career you choose, look at others that have done it and been successful and try to pattern don't, don't steal, but pattern and learn mm-hmm. from their, um, their, their, uh, blueprints. But so I do have that, but yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, there's no, there's no normal yet. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think if you can, I think they say, if you can survive three years with a festival, then you're, then you're there, then you might have, I think your odds of sticking it out and making it are much greater statistically. So just the fact that I'm even looking at third year after COVID, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, But yeah, as far as knowing what your normal is and all that, um, you just have first year to look at.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: What was it like? uh, So how many people attended the festival the first year?
1: We had over 2000 people there our first year. That's great. And we now, you know honestly the the truth is we didn't know we, we were thinking well we have three thousand five thousand ten thousand that the venue can have um over ten thousand but we we learned that you don't want to number one you can't plan on ticket sales being ten thousand you certainly you can't plan on any one one dollar of ticket sales to pay for your production you have to rely on either investment of yourself uh sponsorships or invest outside investors but um so the ticket sales, you know, you and also if you say I'm going to have 10,000 people there, then you have to pay for security, which is very expensive to accommodate 10,000 people. And if you only have 2,000 people show up, then you've overspent on your budget. So um, finding a balance on inaugural year with launching a new brand and a new experience to a market that you somewhat know, but has not had the thing that you're doing yet. Um, that was a tricky, fun uh, <laughs> exercise. But yeah, no, we were proud of 2000. Um, That was, we, we thought three, I will say our first year, we learned a big lesson. um, Do all of your due diligence. We had a major event on the banks on the other side of the river called the Main Street Food Truck Festival. And it was uh, their ninth year and they had um, over 40,000 people there the year prior. Mm -hmm. And they, they kept it on a Sunday, which we thought they were going to move it back to Saturday. Major, major, um, just, just, we didn't know there was no way we could have known had I not been a part of the downtown Little up partnership like I am now so I've, I've inundated myself and other events and other organizations which is the key to to grow in something like this because you have to it really is a community effort from all angles so yeah um, that was that was kind of a tricky thing and I think it did impact us Um it messed with our attendance but still I, we were proud of 2000 and uh, yeah I think we'll we stand to at least do that I think you know, fingers crossed, we'll do much more than that this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And uh, how did it go over when you switched back or or when you switched to the online um, forum last year?
1: I think everyone expected it. They were wondering what we could do. I mean, obviously no one was expecting a live event. So I think the virtual, Cliff and I, my husband and I are a music duo, and we'll probably talk a little bit about that, but yeah, um, we have, um, we, we had been doing a couple of live online shows to a private group, very small, just figuring out prior to COVID, figuring out how to do some online shows. And, and it was just something i had seen a couple of artists, like nobody really did it at this time, you know, prior to COVID was the online virtual shows. And then COVID happened and we had our home studio and we just went public with our online live shows. And so we had figured out the magic of connecting with people across the device. Uh, early in the game and then we looked at what it would take to take a bigger brand as far as like how do you take what we know and love as uh, Yadaloo and the brand and the big stage and translate that on to a production that feels and looks and keeps that vision going for Yadaloo and we were able to partner with CWP Productions a local production company they've been in business for many years and they had also done online virtual events they had some some governor addresses and and they had a big stage and so we worked with them to really um, up our production value Um, but as far as the it was a no-brainer for us to take it to the the virtual stage and then just rallying behind all the artists that would many of them donate their time to 100 percent donate all of the proceeds we were able to raise during that um, six-hour event to our nonprofit partner city connections who were focused on a million meals provided to hungry and families here during COVID. So it was, we, we acted as a nonprofit in that regard and, and it yeah. worked well. I mean, I think it was everything we could have done uh, could have expected and, and could not have done without CWP productions. So shout out. Yeah. To
0: yeah. Partnering collaborations, you know, any, any port in the storm during that time for sure. Yeah. Smart. Really smart. So I'd love to learn more about your own background and music and just kind of have you tell me how, how you got your start. Uh, you're you're a singer and keyboard piano player. Uh, and t- uh, tell me more. I, I'm sure there's things that, that I'm missing here.
1: So um, I, well, I discovered music when I was very young. My mom is still the church piano player for a little Southern Baptist church in Magnet Cove, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so music was something I wanted to do it from a young age. And I asked for piano lessons when I was six years old. And then she uh, found me a a piano teacher. I took 10 years of classical piano and I loved piano playing and was scared to sing growing up. Um, Went to school for math and science, have a degree in in pure mathematics and a minor in physics. And I got out and I, I was thinking I wanted to be a doctor. That was, I always say that was more my dad's dream for me. And my senior year in college, I was like, I just don't know. And so I finished with the math degree and found a wonderful job. In corporate world all telecommunications communications headquarters was here in little rock at the time and uh since verizon has bought them but um i was a radio frequency engineer had a wonderful job out of out of college but still still felt like felt like i didn't know exactly where i was headed and i discovered piano bars at that time downtown little rock we were all my friends and i would go to the willie D's piano bar it's dueling pianos and um we've never been to a dueling piano show it's two pianos very high energy all requests all genre fun show. And uh, with my piano background, I wanted to do that little liquid courage. I got up and sang it like a Sarah McLaughlin song. I don't know, something not really what you would play at a piano Mm -hmm. bar. But uh, at that time, there were no females doing it in this industry uh, here in in Arkansas and not many in the dueling piano world at that time. That was 2003. And um, so I found music, found a lucrative way into the music industry. I say I backdoored my way into music and and kind of found a unique niche with piano bars, and that took me to Branson, Los Angeles, Vegas, uh, house gigs there, and all of those locations. And then I moved back home from Vegas, and I was continuing to perform um, internationally: mm-hmm. Amsterdam, Norway, Caribbean, uh, Spain, Germany, and um, doing my own show with my own piano, like just me at a piano, which is was different from the. I utilized all of the skill sets of sing along and all of the crowd interaction and the, the what I like to call the performance art of piano bars but doing it myself and then I met my husband in 2016 and added him to that same venue style but he's on guitar and fiddle and sings as well so we're a duo in a solo piano bar atmosphere now and uh that kind of gets you caught up but um yeah i mean i left corporate world after 3 years and was balancing both for a while here in little rock and then decided to move into music and i always say my artistpreneur entrepreneur spirit took over and um yeah for 17 years now i've been doing music full time and uh, I love it every day. I mean, it's a challenge. There's a lot that it takes to to stick it out and ups and downs throughout your career, but thankful that it's, it's lasted this long.
0: Yeah. What is your, what does your dad think after having encouraged the the math? And-
1: uh, my, da- my dad, my uh, dad, it took him, I think it was uh, when we, when I made it to Vegas and was in his brain making it, you know, um, to me, I just always knew what I want. I I knew that it was the right path for me. It was just a gut thing for me. And I, you know, like I felt like purpose, you know, um, sharing music across the piano and the magic that I see happen in a crowd and connecting with people. And um, so I knew, but you know, he saw the initial years of, you know, he, I guess he thought you could be a corporate executive by now. And I could have maybe, you know, if I had climbed the corporate ladder, but I, my passion was not there and and I I followed the passion. I think once he saw that I was stable and making really good money in Vegas, that's when he was like, you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he knows that to this day, but there's been plenty of challenges um, in music that that have come across. And I, I mean, I'm no different than anyone who would try to jump off into a music career and try to make it. I mean, as an independent artist, it's not easy. Uh, you just kind of hold on and work hard every
0: day. Yeah. What have some of the bigger challenges been that you've come across?
1: Um, Well, managing, managing your finances as a small business and figuring out how to invest in yourself and run yourself like a business. um, Some of that being tips driven, you know, from a financial side, you know, how to file your taxes, how to get an LLC, how to spend money on marketing. Should I spend money on marketing? Um, So thinking like a small business owner is not always something that most people and a lot of creatives don't have that. And that's just not their, their wheelhouse, you know? So I had to learn that um, corporate world really helped me with thinking that direction. Um, alcohol, you know, I had to figure, I say alcohol management in the piano bar atmosphere, you're there to sell alcohol. So mm-hmm. being not being in the party, but not of the party at some point in your career, I think you have to figure out that balance because um, it's, it's a challenge I think for anyone to, uh, have a long-term career and knowing if you can drink, when you can drink, how much you can drink, and still put on a good show. So, um, I struggled with alcohol for a while and just uh, had to become sober to continue that. And that was a defining moment in my career. And I'm always open about it because I think a lot of um, whether it's drugs or alcohol, it tends to happen in music, right? And mm-hmm. so facing that head on and saying, "How do I do my show and manage this healthily?" Um, is I think a place and some people have to quit and I did not quit. I said, I'm going to do this and, and do it with health in mind. And so um, that was a defining moment in my career about six years ago. Um, what else? I mean, just managing a schedule, knowing that it's a marathon, not a sprint. You're not, you know, there's no overnight success. And so when you get that out or with, as being a female thinking I'm too old, I'm 41 years old, I'll be 42 in December, I thought I was too old when I was 25 to make it, quote unquote, make it. And I I mean, especially in today's industry with where we are and you can have your lucrative, profitable music career as an independent artist without a label. In fact, once you figure that out, you don't need you probably don't want your want a label deal. And there's a time and point maybe to to sign a label deal. And and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you can do it without one and you can be any age. And um, but it takes a lot of um, a lot of. Learning and uh, skills that you have to develop over the years. So, I can ramble on and on about. Yeah,
0: this. no, I love this. This is great. Uh, a lot of these things I, we, we've talked a couple times before, but a lot of this stuff we haven't talked about together, and uh, so it's really fascinating to me. Uh, how did you, so so? Where in along the way did you end up meeting Cliff?
1: We met on the stage at Willie D's in 2016. So I kind of always came back to Willie D's when I was home in Arkansas. I'd pick up shows or. Um, you know, fill in here and there. And um, he was playing that weekend. Um, They would hire him to play fiddle and guitar and drums and be a utility player during the the dueling piano show. And the ED, uh, Matthew Press at the time wanted us to meet because he knew I was doing my own show in Hot Springs here. I started doing my solo piano show at the casino in my home city. And he said, you might want to meet this guy and he he might be a good, uh, anyway, long story short, we finally met started playing music together. The short of it is we fell in love, got married a year later in Vegas and we were playing all over the world together at that point,
0: so. That's amazing. And uh, so, I mean, so you play now, you play, you're full-time musicians, but you're also managing the festival together, co-founded the festival together. And what is that balance like? Um, How often do you play out? Like what percentage are you doing that's making music versus working on the festival?
1: Um, music right now, well, if time or revenue, <laughs> Re- revenue, <Both. laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, time, um, we, now that things are coming back, we're just slammed. We have three, five, six shows sometimes on a weekend now, which uh, thankful I'm so, th- I'm not complaining. I am super thankful, but I will tell you more than ever in my career, finding a balance right now has been the biggest challenge for me because I'm literally, I mean, and Cliff has joined a bluegrass band, which I love. And they're a fantastic, the gravel yard, bluegrass band. But then we've got our Cliff and Susan shows, which um, honestly are where we make most of our money. And, um, and then balancing the festival during the week, I'm working on sponsorships and planning and all that. But the festival is a one-time event per year. We do a monthly showcase, um, a virtual showcase on the third Thursday of each month. So there is some time there. Um, but I would say time-wise I'm spending most of it time-wise I'm spending most on the festival but during the week and then during the weekends we're doing our shows but we've got the shows down you know it's not like I'm having to do a lot of prep for during the week for that other than just marketing the shows and then going and doing them and that's where we make most of our money right now but Mm -hmm. the festival that's the long-term game right that's the the long approach of long-term growth of the festival and um, it's not it's not something you do to get rich. <laughs> you do it because you love it and you want to grow something for the community and you hope that one day it's really something big like a Bonnaroo or a Coachella or a Lollapalooza or something for your city.
0: Yeah, that's great. Is there anything else comparable to that in your area?
1: We have, um, you know, I will say, and this has been um, the only thing and we're not quite to this size. Um, my dog's eating something in the floor. <laughs> We're not quite there, but um, a lot of people will kind of say you're the new RiverFest, and I won't say that we're River River RiverFest was a 40-year running Little Rock festival, and it was big. It was on the banks of the river, and they um, they stopped um, a year or two ago, right before we launched ours, and so that would be the only thing, literally in Little Rock, um, that would be something that would be a festival with country music big crowds, um, kids, you know, rides, activities, and all that, Um, but there's a, there's a, a we're more of a boutique festival than Riverfest was, and I would love to grow to be a Mm -hmm. a 80,000 person, uh, three-day event like they were um, in their, in their good days, but um, Peacemaker Festival is in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and they kind of go the Texas red dirt route, and they have been awesome to to kind of, you know, get a, give us the girl and go, go get them. And, and kind of similar in branding, more of a boutique festival, 3,000, 3,500 people attend their event. They're only music, they're not arts and crafts. So we're a little different in that regard. But mm-hmm. uh, so those are the two uh, that I would say are most similar. There's a lot of festivals, um, Toad Suck, which is a funny name. But Toad Suck is a festival that's in Conway. That's not very far from here. They win lots of awards and i watch them and how they do things as well. Uh, so that hopefully that answers your question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, so what has it been like, um, I mean, starting something from scratch? Like, what is that? Uh, I mean, I guess you said you were modeling after other festivals that you were aware of, but um, I mean, just just creating something. I mean, using using your creative juices for, you know, more than just music. Um, and, and I don't know, tell me about how that that process has been like. Well,
1: I think it was a balance between knowing the market knowing where I am in my life and what time commitment I could have and then taking my creative side. So blending that analytical business side. Just so what makes sense? Cause um, you know, it, it's, and then the creative side. So launching a brand, coming up with a name, knowing what you want to do. Right. I love, I'm, I love to paint. I'm a painter on the side. I don't really do a lot of it right now cause I'm so busy, but um, knowing I love the arts as not just music, but arts and crafts as well. And so I wanted to do a blend of that, which is nothing new under the sun. A lot of the people, a lot of uh, events do arts and crafts festivals as well as music. Mm-hmm. um But so knowing that and then knowing, so, my, so a lot of this was heart centered. A lot of it was just um kind of like letting God speak to me, like, what would you want to do? What do you want to leave as a legacy? um And it's that it was really from that point of view, whenever I came to knowing that I was going to spend this kind of time and myself putting myself and it's very stressful. I cannot tell you how much stress it's like the best of times and the worst of times, because it can be super stressful, you know? Um, and so the, the creative side was just, I think I say, you know, you look at the big, the big festivals and all. And when you launch something like this, you come up with like the branding and like the vision, the color palettes. And I love all of that coming up with the name Yodeloo, we came up with it, just y'all yodeling, Yadaloo, anything that sounded fun and country, but something that's never been out there. So that was the business side I mean, I want something I don't have to compete with from a branding standpoint and trademark standpoint. And then what is the logo good? And I did it on my phone. Like I just, all of my expertise in marketing of an artist or a band or my music career, I dumped that into festival um, website. I did the website. I had, we launched all of this behind the scenes probably in like 48 hours. I had everything bam, like it was there. And then it was, and we decided country and Americana because that, number one, that was a good move from a business standpoint because it does really well in Arkansas. But also we are country music. And I knew that that was an easy sell for me. And um, so, yeah, I mean, all of that was, I, I say that, you know, and I had a good team, by the way, Stan Jackson, who helped us from a production standpoint, I could not have done it without him. And we could to this day work with him. He helped. He's been many, many years doing major festivals and events and concerts and all all over the state and in the nation and so he took us under his wing and said here's how you do it and being smart enough to know not to try and reinvent the wheel, listen to somebody who's had success guide you through that that's super important and that was really one of the main keys to us being able to do that without a lot of people go well I, we, I think we should do this why don't we have this and this and this and when he said no that's a bad idea i just go okay why okay i trust you and then we followed his lead on that but um, so a team, it takes a team, but being a small team and being able to move quickly and not have a board of eight, 10 people saying, well, I want to do this. I want to do that. That, that just meetings to have more meetings. I've learned that's just, you can get held up. So we were able to move quickly and launch quickly with yeah, that. Cause you,
0: you are not a nonprofit, correct?
1: Right. We're, and we formed an LLC and yeah, so we were three or four people going, bam, let's do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And had a meeting, and I mean, like I said, I had a website and a, and a logo and a marketing and a, all of my skill set with marketing. I had all that ready to go and moving forward before we were even able to breathe a word of it. And so, that typically would stall people, I think. Um, yeah, a brand out. So,
0: mm-hmm. and I know I
1: expertise and being able to know who know the the key players in the country music world and who to call on. You know.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and you're bringing in artists from from all over for this festival, correct?
1: We do, um, we're, we've leaned more in the Texas red dirt um, category, which is more of a, um, well, first of all, we love Texas red dirt music. Mm-hmm. It's not the mainstream country music you hear on the radio. It's um, it, the most, li- the artist I can liken that's mainstream that has red dirt sound is kind of like Luke Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, he would be one, um, but they're, got a huge following here in Arkansas, because we're right next to Texas. And so they have a diehard loyal fan base. And we just love that kind of music. So that's the direction we took.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was just going to bring up the the nonprofit thing. You know, a lot of people have asked me my uh, for our own business, like, you know, uh, are you a nonprofit? Why? Or why aren't you a nonprofit? And do you, do you ever get that question asked of you?
1: Yeah, I mean, the we always have a nonprofit partner that we affiliate with and we were transparent on what that agreement is with them and how much they stand to make, whether it's percent of tickets or percentage of sponsorships, which I highly recommend don't do sponsorships do percentage of tickets or some other um, ticket motivated um, revenue percentage that you can give your nonprofit. That's a long story, but yeah, we learned that as well. Um, But yeah, like, Having that, but um, you know, I think the having it, there's a lot less paperwork involved in nonprofits, and yeah. if you have, and, and it will, you know, there are some. I think I've heard this, and I've never told been told this directly from a bank, but there are some banks and groups that won't uh, donate unless you are a nonprofit. So there might be some, and I say donate sponsor is what I mean mm-hmm. sponsor because when they sponsor on a sponsorship is a marketing dollar spend for a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Sponsorship is, but if it's also to a nonprofit, they can write it off as a hundred percent nonprofit donation, which is is advantageous to them on their on their accounting side. But they also have marketing dollars every year that's that's on their ledger, and that's that's something that they can allocate to your festival and and um, so I I think that we made the right move. Um, I asked Stan. Yeah. I said, do we, "Do we do nonprofit or LLC profit?" And he goes, "Just do profit." Um, And then have a nonprofit partner, and I'm still learning why that play is the right one. But everyone that I've asked, as they've watched this, they're like, "No, you did the right thing." So I don't know what that means, other than (laughs) what I've just said. Other than you know, it's um, it's a lot to be a nonprofit. It is,
0: and uh, you know, one thing, you know, I'll just I'll speak on this real quickly from our perspective. You know, the the answers that I give, and I've done a lot in in the nonprofit arts world myself, and and I, you know i get that question a lot like why aren't you a nonprofit the answer that i give is like um cuz i like to get things done and <laughs> it takes so much longer to get things done uh, when you have a nonprofit because you no, have that's to have, a great answer. <laughs> yeah because, because there's so many committees and boards that you have to run things past which is fine and and that's that's just how it has to be done but um you can be much more efficient if you if you don't have that um and um yeah, the paperwork, the the policies that you have to have, you can still have all of that. Um, but to develop all of that takes so much more time uh, in the nonprofit world than it does in the business world, um, just because of all the meetings and, and that yeah. those those meetings are, you know, those, those are voluntary meetings for the board members and committee members. So the yeah, the 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 odds that those are going to be high priority for them are not as good as you yourself taking on that <laughs> that you know for the the business owner taking on those those roles and the business partners taking on on that that challenge to get the the policy built and the and the the connections made. So um, it's there's just so many great um, reasons and and then I mean I I often say I'm I'm the same way I, I never. Uh, I don't think I will ever intend to be a, a nonprofit, but um, I love partnering with nonprofits and, and we do the same thing. And, and so there are so many things that you can still get done by by doing it that way. Um, well, I so. mind, I'm going to
1: steal that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, and and it's eloquently like you just did, because I mean, yeah, you, I think the ultimate is where is your heart? You're wanting to give back to the community with a festival like this. This is, I mean, we've invested thousands of dollars of our own into this, where this has not been profitable yet. And I'm transparent about that because I want people to know this is, you can look at, I mean, I've spent so much time and money on growing this and it's a long play and maybe yes, one day I would love to have this turn into a profitable business. So I continue to grow it right and pay myself something Out of that. But the the ultimate reason for doing this, and and I think and as I'm watching um, those who've been successful over years, is to give back to the community, drive economic um, money, revenue, and an economic boost to your your local tourism CVBs and, and work with them to get exposure for the community. Volunteers get involved and they have fun. You know, it's it's and then your nonprofit partner that you choose, whether it's a long-standing partnership or you do one like we do yearly. It's it's a way to give back and really drive real money to an actual nonprofit. Whereas if I was nonprofit right now, nobody would be have, have been making money yet, you know. So they made money, and that's great. So from mm-hmm. Jump Street, my, my nonprofit made money, which you know there's something to be said for that. So I think that I think that that's probably in hindsight why I was told not to go nonprofit um, mm-hmm. and and keep it going this direction. And uh, I've learned a lot about nonprofits too, uh, just by working yeah. with one. it's it's a it's a whole other animal.
0: <laughs> it is, it is. And I, you know, in 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 starting things up, I was advised, you know, it's it's so much easier to go from being uh, a, a business to a nonprofit than the reverse. Uh, so if if you at all ever want to shift to being a nonprofit, it's it's really easy to do from an LLC to to that direction than the
1: reverse. So.
0: And I um, think-
1: Business model there is the, then you run it like with a nonprofit for those who don't understand how nonprofits, the way that the owners or the, the uh you would pay yourself a salary. And so I would make a certain set amount per year as the, the director or whomever the director would be. And then, you know, then there, the profit split on the, that would go to the, you know, the nonprofit, but then you have a board and then you have, I think monthly reports. I mean, it's a lot, but. It um, is. And I really don't know all of it, but I know that um, that would be how you would structure it. As um, an executive director would make a certain salary off of that to be compensated for their time and energy and, and their their time to run the festival. So that's one way you could look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, those are those are some of the reasons. Yeah, very very similar reasons as to why uh, we ourselves are not a nonprofit, but but we act very similar. That, that you can you can act as a nonprofit, you can serve your community mm-hmm. as a nonprofit would, but still remain an LLC or you know whatever model that you choose. Yeah, as a right. business,
2: so. So a good
1: example of that was last year during when we pivoted to the the not the I say we acted as a nonprofit in twenty twenty. Okay. So what we did is we produced the show. Um, online with the the six hour show and had a call to action that call to action was having people send money straight to the city connections paypal account to their their funding you know meaning i never touched that dollar i don't report it on my 1040 none of that that was i acted as a nonprofit straight to them and anyone and so they number one as a as a viewer and a, a patron of the the brand or the festival you go okay I'm donating straight to this nonprofit. And that was a great example of of how we didn't we we were nonprofit, but we didn't we aren't a nonprofit. Does that make sense? So
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually tomorrow, you know, this is this ties in a little bit with something that you brought up earlier. And I don't know if we've really discussed this together or realized this, but um, I'm also sober and I've I've mentioned that on a couple of podcasts in the past. Did you know that? Um I didn't know that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So And I, one of the things I'm actually going to be doing tomorrow is I'm going to be meeting with a couple uh, community leaders who run like sober houses in our area, Mm -hmm. because one of the things that I've been wanting to do is to get like some live music options for people who can't always enjoy, um, live music the same way a typical person would, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to have maybe like a sober option for, for music and, um, and so I'm, I'm talking with a couple people at their, at their sober ho- uh, house kind of places, their, their, um, uh, brick and mortar pl- locations tomorrow. Um, there again, no nonprofits that we could partner with, but
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. not our,
0: not our own. So coffee shops, yeah.
1: girl. coffee shops.
0: <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true.
1: Bring them coffee and, and, uh, donuts. And yeah, I mean, and, you know, I think that, um, there's such a, a place for that because music is so healing. And especially if you said it's musicians that are sober now, is that what it is? Or is this just sobriety homes in general? These are just
0: general sobriety homes, but there is, uh, I mean, there, we we talked already in some meetings. There are some, some people that are definitely looking for, for music outlets. So,
1: well, um, I, you know, I, I, if anyone hears me talking on this podcast in the future and they, they something sparked an interest in them to reach out to me about how, I got sober and how I remain sober and still go out and rock crowds who are drinking their faces off and have a fun time and I'm not worried about it and doesn't bother me and the struggles that, I mean, it's not always been easy. Please reach out to me because I don't mind sharing that story. I don't always talk about it now because it's not on the forefront of my brain. But when I first got sober, I was like, gosh, I was super transparent. I was like, guys, I'm getting sober because I'm at a point in my career where either I hang it up or I don't, or I move forward with I'm either going to die like this or I'm going to be happy like this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I'm I'm always open to talking about that. Or if you ever have any, um, you know, forums that you'd like to bring me in on that, I'm uh, more than willing to help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. And I mean, so but you you did make the choice to go ahead and become a performer despite that. And I mean, you said the first year, so the first little bit was not so easy. I yeah, mean, how did well, you
1: maintain that? You know, I mean, it was a mental shift on stage. Um, it was just how do I do this sober? How do I, you know, I mean, it was a new, it was finding a new skin on stage. It was very much that. So I'm going to, I'll be super honest about that. It was not easy. But once I got to that point, the love of music for me was really what was more overpowering than uh, or and staring down looking at going back to corporate world I was like that no I don't want to do that you know I'm too I'm too much of an entrepreneur to do that so I did have to find a balance I did have to take a little regroup time and find some from some venues communicating with my agents and saying look this is where I am and I'm going to do this and you know so talking to the bartenders you know don't I'm not going to drink tonight you know those kind of things um and and just setting up for success But then, you know, it took a little time to get used to it. But now it's second night. I mean, I don't even, in fact, if I were to be drunk on stage, I would just be, I'm like, I look back now, I'm like, I thought I was good back then. Holy no.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. Maybe for a minute, you, you knock the edge off and you're like free, woo, you know, but then no, there's no way your vocals are better. There's no way you're better. You know, you're, you're tired and running around in the fog all day, every day, all year and that clarity I found and, and new creativity I found after the fact was uh, a surprise and uh, something that I didn't realize. So. Um.
0: Yeah. that's, that's something I I found as well as um, you know, I was really nervous to almost stop drinking because I thought that would take away the creativity that I felt um, it gave me, um, you know, it was, I was leaning on it for that, but I, I mean, I'm so glad to have stopped because I, it's like, your creative times 10 because you have all that time back <laughs> that, yeah. that, that you wasted, you know, that, you know, those hours that you would spend being hung over being, you know, right. just completely uh, useless, you know, and now you have that time for creative power and.
1: Well, um, and I, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I look back, I'm like, I had a heck of a time. I had some fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> time to grow the hell up, you know, mm-hmm. like okay, that's enough, Susan, you know, and uh, I say this very honestly, like, and, and I mean this, like some people can drink. There's no judgment. Some people can have drinks and, and do it and they can manage it. Alcohol management or drug management. I wouldn't say drugs because I don't think drugs, period, but you know, whatever, just a managing that is a skill set you have to have. Maybe in life in general, but as a musician, more so than anything. If I'm an if I you know I'm an entertainment director at a piano bar, and I would say on on your resume, alcohol management would be <laughs> one of your skill sets you need because either you can or you can't, or you know your limits. And right now, I have a wonderful team and, and there's no issues. But mm-hmm. um, it's sad to see whenever people do have them because it really is it is the devil will get you by the tail. And it, it, it takes a minute, it takes a minute, mm-hmm. a good support team to get, pull out of that and move forward and, and find your new healthy place. And so anyway, I didn't know that we'd talk about that today, but I'm, maybe we were supposed to.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. I, I love knowing that about you. So uh, thank you so much for sharing on that. What are some of the the lessons that you've learned along the way?
1: Oh, uh, well, lessons. Um. Well, you know, this is the first thing that came to mind, Um, being a female in the music industry, traveling the world by myself, um, how to be, well, first of all, I love that. I love meeting new people. I love to inundate myself in new cultures. I love the energy a new city brings me. I love a new month-long contract where I can go, here's my goals here. I'm going to run three times a week and I'm going to go and here's how I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to eat like this. And I miss that because COVID, I've been home for, you know, 18 months or whatever. Um. So, But then there's a time and a place when you are, I'd say, late 20s, early 30s, and you're going, okay, you know, I'm kind of lonely, and where am I going with my life, and am I okay with not having a family, and you start watching your peers. Um, so I don't know why I'm talking about this, but it came to my mind, so I sh- maybe I should talk about it, but, you know, as a female in the, in the music industry, I don't care if you're on a big stage having a manage trying, thinking about having a family. Um, or if you're like me and you were, you know, traveling solo and doing uh, smaller venues, but making a great living, but having to um, come to resolve about where you want and make some um, realistic goals for yourself. And uh, I think it's happened perfectly for me. You know, I met Cliff in 2016 unexpectedly, but at that point in time, I'd had failed failed relationships that just because I always chose my music career and wanted to make it work with, and it never did. But with Cliff, it does. And uh, as soon as, I guess they say, this, as soon as you decide that it's not going to happen, it happens for you, the whole love thing. Um, but so that was one lesson. And I mean, I just say the lesson is is the marathon, not the sprint, um, perseverance, and constantly investing in education and learning how to grow your music career and, and, um, and make it lucrative so you can continue to do that. Um, yeah, there's lots of lessons in there. And uh, YouTube is your friend, Google, mm-hmm. webinars. Um, collaborations and joining, joining other groups that um, you can learn from. So finding a mentor, you know, those, those type of things. Mm -hmm. Lesson learned lessons learned.
0: For sure. For sure. And, um, and I think all of those things that you just mentioned uh, require being a little assertive on your own, which I think is an important uh, lesson in itself. It's just, you know, you have to do, you have to be the starter of all of these things. You have to take initiative.
1: One of the things I was being assertive on that on that note would say I would say a lot of people and I had this problem knowing how to market yourself because you are the product you sell, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's easy to go. It's easier to go for me to market the Gravel Yard Bluegrass Band than it is Susan Irwin buy my CD because I like it's like oh who am I to you know like you kind of and you don't always know how you're perceived because it's you and so. You have to get over that and say, "Okay, I am the product I sell. This is my music. This is, you know, taking the photos and doing the graphic art and and making, ma- putting that marketing out there. At first, that's hard. I would say to to do for some people, and um, not yeah. not how to market, but knowing how to market yourself you know, and being not. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and actually, I'm curious. Um, and are you are you doing okay on time? By the way, I'm great. Mm-hmm. Okay, um because uh, I am curious about your perspective on this since you do something similar to me. Like I I sense, I get the, the sense that I get approached by a lot of uh, male artists all the time to, um, to book them, to work with them, to use them for, for our events. I would say maybe 95% of the, the people that approach us are men, whereas like 5% are, are female. And like, if we want to do more work with women, I like, I have to go out of my way to find them um, because I just get the impression, I, I'm starting to think it really is just like a, um, I don't know if it's like an insecurity kind of thing or um, just in our in, in our DNA, we're just not like, we're not built the same way to, to feel like we're, we're ready to, to push ourselves onto people.
1: Part of it is that, but I think part of it is we are a minority. Um, I don't know that, I mean, it depends on the, the, the area and your location, but maybe there aren't as many uh, females, but I won't say it's all that. I would say um, the, the, yeah, the willingness to get out there and market yourself and push forward and, and um, it takes, a, I would say some of the more strong personality types probably do fare better just in general, if I'm speaking honestly, but um, yeah, I would be interested to look at, you know, how that works. I mean, it just seems like females are kind of in the minority in general. And in like, if you look at female country music played, it's like, so not out there. And part of that's the machine, not them, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, yeah, um, overcoming that. And then maybe it's just, I don't know. I, that's a good question. I don't want to yeah. say because we're weak. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. But I think I, not as assertive and maybe not um, realizing the opportunities.
0: Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess if there's any advice I would give on that. And and I just I was just wondering if you had experienced something similar is just, you know, women are we're not typically as assertive as we could be. Um, and you know, whatever we think is too much is probably not enough still. <laughs> so right. I don't know. Um, so yeah. I know there's a lot more, I, I know that, that men still kind of, uh, you know, are there, there are more men singers and, and musicians,
1: mm-hmm. uh, in the
0: business, but, um, just as far as the, the ones that approach us for, for events, yeah, yeah.
1: So. that's interesting. Uh, maybe you should do an all-female show once a month
0: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah we try to do some of that but uh yeah we we just have to do a lot more of the asking ourselves. to yeah, yeah 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 it's just been interesting yeah that's um, I, I didn't
1: really think of that but I, I would say that's very true too in this market yeah for some of the yeah. venues that I help book yeah
0: Yeah. So yeah, start thinking about it. And like, I'd I'd be curious, like if you start noticing it and just start paying attention to those messages, like mark down like a little tally for the male versus female. The
1: thing is, I just don't feel like there's that many, but is it, is it there aren't that many or is it just, they're not, they're not pushing like the guys do. I don't know. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a little both probably, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know they're out there. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, and I want to have you tell me a little bit about the, the piece of music that you submitted for us today, driving me crazy. Can you tell us about your music?
1: Yes. Uh, so Cliff and I, um, I released a couple of Nashville projects, a, a full-length 12-song album in 2015 that was under Susan Irwin. You can still find it on all of the streaming platforms, um, and that's Irwin with an E. And I released an EP right after that and then uh, a, an original Christmas song all under my maiden name. And then when I met Cliff in 2016, we formed the duo, Cliff and Susan is our official, uh, Cliff and Susan is our artist name, our duo artist name. Um, I always say like Johnny and June, Cliff and Susan. Um, but we, with the goal of releasing our own music as well as you know touring as a duo with that brand name, um, we released this specific song last year, our, do, our debut song release um, as a duo. Was on April eleventh, his dad's his dad's birthday, and his dad actually wrote this song the year he was born. The year Cliff was
2: mm-hmm.
1: released on his dad's birthday. It's a great song. His dad is a fantastic uh, songwriter and guitar player and singer. Um, but anyway, so we released this one. Cliff completely produced it, uh, and self produced, self released. And then we've got another one that we're working on. We've got a studio we're building here in, in uh, East End, just south of Little Rock. Um, it's an actual brick and mortar, uh, 900 square foot building we're almost done with. And when that gets done, we're going to be starting to release more music. And the next one most likely will be called Fiddle and Keys, which is a it's like where Jar- Jerry Lee Lewis meets Charlie Daniels kind of drive. Um, and it's got our story in it. Um, but yeah, so this one's called Driving Me Crazy. And it was sentimental and just a good, uh, upbeat, fun song that um, fits our brand and kind of what you'd hear if you were to come in and hear our show. Rockabilly, rockability,
0: country music kind of style. Awesome. That's so cool. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, where can we find out more information on you? Well, um,
1: I love to market. So there's going to be... <laughs> <laughs> I'm spread too thin, to be honest. I would say if anyone wants to find out more about me on a personal level and have links to all of my everything, you can go to SusanIrwinProwse.com. And that honestly is just a landing to my Um, but you can find our cliff and susan music on uh, instagram facebook twitter just type in cliff and susan and you'll see us Um, and of course on the streaming platforms you can find my original music on before i met cliff with susan Irwin, and then cliff and susan Um, i want to shout out the gravel yard bluegrass band because they're doing so awesome and you can hear cliff's bluegrass project right now with that Um, but all of those just follow us interact send us a message we'd love to connect with you and um, yeah we have a website, cliffandsusan.live, if you want to see our upcoming shows.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Is there anything that we didn't cover in here that you'd like to discuss that we?
1: No, just excited sure. to have been asked. And thanks. I'm honored to be here and get get more of our Yadaloo uh, brand out there in, in front of some folks listening to your podcast.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, send some love your way. And and I think I'll be down there uh, helping you out <laughs> as well. I look forward to, uh, to checking it out. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, Susan Irwin Prouse, thank you so much for being here today. Really great to talk with you more. Thank you. Good one.
2: You know, I've loved you for a long time. You swear that someday you'll be mine. I hope that someday. where that I chance never let you go
0: we are grateful for the patron support of the premiere in green bay thank you for always being of assistance to us and to other in the arts community in your neck of the woods thank you so much for listening we hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Newmeyer. Thanks again.